As Carl said, I'm going to be reading from Judges 6 and I'm reading verses 7 to 32. I think you can follow along behind me. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favour in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, And from an ephra of flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realised that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. 
So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar, demolished, and the Asherah pole beside it cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die, because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's corpse? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubbaal that day, saying, Let Baal contend with him. Thanks, uh, Susan, for that. And thanks, Carl, for those kind words. Um, It's quite appropriate after saying all that that you pray that my nerves might be calmed. Um, (laughs) So as you've gathered, my name's Ian. I'm Susan's husband, and we've been here at TCU since it started out in 2018 and be involved in various different ways. Um, You'll quite often see me fiddling with the iPads, operating the sound system. uh, Angus is looking after that today. Um, I guess that's a bit because of my background. Um, I uh, worked as a scientist for 40 years, so I'm used to computers and things like that. As it happens, I've also been a Christian for about the same length of time. And some people might see that as a conflict, science and religion, but I never saw it that way. They're just two different ways of seeking after truth. And not everything can be seen in a microscope or a telescope. Over the Christmas break, I heard an interesting comment on that subject. Um, You see, the wise men were the scientists of their day. Uh, They followed the astronomical knowledge, and it led them in the right direction, uh, but to the wrong destination. Herod's court. It wasn't until they looked in the Bible they found the right way to Bethlehem and the true king. So, why am I standing up here? Uh, It's not like Professor Cotton giving you a science experiment. Um, I'm delivering a sermon. Well, I retired from CSIRO in 2013, and I decided I wanted to get a more in-depth knowledge of the Bible. So I enrolled for a Master of Divinity here at the Bible College. It's a three-year course, and now seven years later, I'm nearly finished. That close. And by the way, if you do want to get to know the Bible better, you can't do better than coming and doing a course here. That's today's promotional announcement. Uh, It's a great way to to learn. Anyway, knowing this, Carl asked me if I'd preach today. um, But one subject that I haven't studied during my seven years is preaching. Um, So I was a little bit uncertain. um, But I then recalled one of the assignments I'd had to do about somebody else who was a bit hesitant to answer a call. And remembering Gideon inspired me to say yes, so here I am. Let's open with a prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
So would you open your Bibles to uh, Judges chapter 6 and beginning at verse 7, the passage that Susan read to us. So verses 7 to 10 give us some background to Gideon's story. Israel has, as so often happens, turned away from following the Lord and they're worshipping the gods of the surrounding tribes, the Amorites. Another tribe, the Midianites, are oppressing them. And a prophet's come. We don't know what his name was. He's come to remind them of their failure, but doesn't really offer any hope. But the Lord does have a plan. In verse 11, his angel appears to a most unlikely person, Gideon, son of Joash, who's threshing wheat while hiding from the oppressors in a wine press. That's most likely a pit cut out of the rock. So, what do we know about this Gideon? Well, you may have heard some of his story before. Later on in his story, there are some really memorable parts. There's the fleeces he put out to check whether the Lord really speaking to him, and he got the okay. And he gathers an army of 30,000 to fight the Midianites. But first, God tells him he has to send most of them away. 20,000 of them are afraid, and so he sends them home. Most of the rest turn out not to be really good as soldiers, and they get sent away too, leaving him with just 300. But in fact, those 300 don't have to fight either um, because God sends a scary dream to the Midianites. And when the 300 appear in the night with bright lights, sounding trumpets and shouting, the Midianites all run away and kill each other as they go. You can read all about that and more of Gideon's story in chapters 7 and 8 of Judges. But today, we're just looking at the start of his story. A frightened young man hiding in a wine press. Can you picture what it would be like to be Gideon? The Midianites had come in vast numbers, taking whatever they could find. Gideon's dad, Joash, sounds like a bit of a tough guy, as we see at the end of the passage. Maybe that morning he said, Hey, Gideon, haven't you finished threshing the wheat yet? Get to work, or you'll have me to deal with as well as the Midianites. So Gideon has to get to work. Where can he do it? It'll be out of sight. (gasps) Inspiration! He can hide in the wine press. He lowers the stalks of grain into the wine press and gets to work threshing. Then he realizes there's someone there. Oh no, it's the Midianites. They found him. It's the end. But no, it's not the Midianites. It's someone he doesn't recognize. Now you know and I know that this is the angel of the Lord. But Gideon doesn't realize that yet. Not till quite a bit later. So presumably the angel doesn't have a halo and wings like they would in Hollywood. But it's clear there's something strange about him, the way Gideon addresses him. And he calls Gideon, O powerful warrior, or O mighty warrior. In Hebrew, it's Gibor Chayil. And I'll tell you that because Gideon would know that term. It would be familiar. Because he'd have heard the story of the Exodus when they came out of Egypt and Joshua led them into the promised land. Gibor Ha'il, mighty warrior. That was the name they gave to Joshua's strongest uh, fighters. It's not a term you'd usually apply to someone who's hiding away in a wine press. By the way, uh, this term comes up later. It's applied to King David and to Solomon's captain Jeroboam. And if you remember the story of Ruth, it's also used for Boaz, which makes his care for Ruth all the more striking. And that word, Hail, powerful, is also used for Ruth herself, 
Her superpower was loyalty and faithfulness. And in the book of Proverbs, which is just before the book of Ruth in the Jewish Bible, there's a description of the ideal wife. The word used there again is this same word, powerful. She's diligent and generous to others. But let's get back to Gideon, the mighty warrior hiding in the wine press. He decides he'll ignore that bit of the stranger's words, this mighty warrior thing. Maybe he's a foreigner, and it's a polite form of address where he comes from. You know, day, mate. Hail, mighty warrior. Same sort of thing, really. Anyway, Gideon focuses on the other part. The Lord is with you. And he avoids the point here, too. Second and last bit of Hebrew for today. In verse 12, the angel uses a singular form of you. The Lord is with you, Gideon. Not you, the people, the Israelites. But Gideon avoids any personal reference and he responds, if the Lord is with us, in fact, avoiding the point seems like Gideon's strong point. If you have problems with procrastination, you should go to Gideon for lessons. He'll teach you how to do it properly. He can procrastinate better than anyone. I'll show you what I mean. Yep. There we are. I don't, don't expect you to read the words, but you can get the, the picture. So we've got God, or the angel's words are on the left, and Gideon's on the right, and just have to look at it to see the imbalance. Get some short, direct commands from the Lord, and long-winded addresses and excuses from Gideon. The Lord is with you, almighty warrior. Oh, but if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened? Where are all the wonderful deeds of the past? And on and on. Go in this might of yours and save Israel. Oh, I couldn't do that. I'm the smallest in my family, etc. I will be with you. Okay, well, let's see if we can delay things a bit. Could you give me a sign? You just wait there while I go off and get some snacks ready. So in verse 19, Gideon goes off to prepare a present, telling the angel to wait. Now, you may notice he doesn't just go and get some hummus and matzo bread. He wants something a bit more time-consuming. He finds a young goat and goes through all the messy process of preparing it and cooking it. So it's not exactly fast food. He also makes bread from an ephah of flour. Now, if you've got footnotes in your Bible, you may see that an ephah of flour is about 40 kilograms. And so that would take a bit of time kneading. We're not told why he does this. But reading between the lines, it looks to me like an attempt to delay things. Keep the angel waiting there under the oak tree. Give him time to give up and go away. But it doesn't work. It seems that angels don't get bored easily. So eventually it's all prepared. No more excuse to delay. And then in verses 20 and 21, Gideon gets a real shock. And the sign he asked for. The angel tells him to put the offering on a rock and pour the broth over it. For once Gideon obeys without an argument. And the angel reaches out his staff and zap! Fire springs up and consumes the food. And finally, Gideon realizes what is happening. He sees that the angel of the Lord was the angel of the Lord. Gideon is horrified at what he's done. But the Lord reassures him and blesses him. Peace be with you. Do not fear. And that, it seems, is that. In verse 24, we can almost hear Gideon's sigh of relief as the angel departs. And the Lord, it seems, has no more to say. So to finish things off neatly, Gideon builds an altar, a memorial of his wonderful experience. That's that then, and he can head for home.
and we don't actually know whether the wheat got threshed or not. But in verse 25, Gideon finds, and we find that, alas, it's not that easy. The Lord has work for his mighty warrior. And now Gideon obeys, a bit reluctantly and by night, because he's afraid of his family and the townsfolk. Perhaps not really appropriate for a mighty warrior. However, he does as he's commanded, and he breaks down his father's altar to the idol Baal, and he burns up the sacred poles of the fertility goddess. And he sacrifices his father's second best bull. When the townsfolk discover this sacrilege, they don't waste time. They talk it over, they search, they inquire, and the culprit is clear, Gideon. They're angry. They demand Gideon's death, and Gideon stands up and defies them. Well, no, actually he doesn't. That isn't what happened. Presumably Gideon's off hiding at home or maybe back in the wine press. In fact, it's his father, Joash, who defends him, despite the loss of his second-best bull. He seems to be more like a mighty warrior than Gideon. You might think that God would have done better to pick Joash rather than Gideon to fight against the Midianites. But he had other plans. He needed Gideon. The clue was in the angel's first words. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon plus God was a mighty warrior. And even though Gideon was still frightened, the townsfolk saw the change. They recognized Gideon's uncharacteristic courage in breaking down Baal's altar. And they gave him a new nickname, Jeroboam. He strove with Baal. And there our story ends for today. One of the things I liked about my course here at the Bible College is how we've been taught to see the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, as one ongoing story of salvation. It encourages us to see how the Old Testament looks forward to the coming of Christ. When we read the story of Gideon, his humble origins, obedience to God's command, a mighty warrior, God with us, a new name, it's reminiscent of another story. Reminiscent perhaps as a light globe is reminiscent of the noonday sun, but maybe Gideon's little light can encourage us to shine. Gideon's story reminds us of the story of Christmas that we've been remembering recently. In Philippians 2, verses 5 to 10, we read that Jesus humbled himself, being obedient obedient even to death on the cross. And he was given a new name, the name above every name, so that all things would acknowledge his authority. Where Gideon obeyed reluctantly, Jesus willingly went to the cross. He knew well what the cost would be, but he bore it for us. Emmanuel, God with us. Gideon tried to deflect the angel's personal assurance, God is with you, into a general one. If God is with us, really meaning, if God is with them, the strong men like Joash, the real mighty warriors. But Jesus showed that God with us means God with each one of us. God with you, God with you, and God with me. But since Jesus came, through his death and resurrection, we can all know God's presence in a new way. A way unknown in Gideon's day, Christ in us. His spirit, our comforter and guide, are no longer fighting alone, but part of a community with a multitude of strengths and weaknesses in the church, Christ's body. Gideon's an endearing character. His attempts to avoid the issue and hope that the angel will go away make him someone we can both laugh at and identify with. But we mustn't miss the serious part of the story. 
Now, God could have destroyed the altar of Baal without Gideon's help or his bodyguard of ten, but he chose to work through the weakest son of the smallest tribe. Does he want to work through us or in us? Are there altars we should pull down? I don't know what altars confront you in your life. Maybe they're external altars. Perhaps in your work, you have to confront commonly accepted values of our society that we are caused to oppose. Perhaps you have friends who speak or act in ways that are against God's law. Or perhaps the altars are internal, possessions that rule our lives, passions or temptations that need to be rejected, to be burnt up like the Asherah poles. Or perhaps like me, you're getting on in years and finally you can't do all you used to be able to. Perhaps you're regretting what you've missed. Perhaps you have to break down the altar of self-sufficiency as you need more and more to rely on others. Or perhaps the power we need is not breaking down altars like Gideon, but rather overcoming our fears so we can be like Boaz, showing care for others, for the foreigner, for the outcast, for those who are different. Or like Ruth, remaining loyal and faithful when everything seems lost. Or like Lady Wisdom, working diligently and sharing generously. I don't know what altars confront you, or how impossible it seems to remove them. I don't know what power you need or how weak you feel. But as I read the story of Gideon, I'm reminded that it doesn't depend on us, not on our strength, not on our goodness. God didn't need the strength of a Joash. He needed Gideon's obedience. Gideon plus God was a mighty warrior. So we can feel confident that you plus God can be a mighty warrior. And above all, we must remember Jesus, God with us. God with us, a mighty warrior. For in this might of ours, the might of a mighty God, we can overcome all things. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father God, for the story of Gideon, for the assurance that in your might we can overcome all idols and altars. We pray that you will guide our vision and our thoughts to see the altars that need to be broken down in our lives. We pray for ever stronger faith in your might and confidence in your power. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.